0: We know what it means to be created in the image of God. Everyone is equal. Everyone is infinitely valuable. And everyone is unique. And now we have the challenge of how to live our life that way. And this year, I stood there and I said to myself, my challenge is how to fight a war that way. This terrible war and attack took away from me the normal questions I want to ask. I don't want to ask how to fight a war like this. I want to ask how to live a life like this.
1: Welcome to Tashma, the podcast where you get to listen in on Hadar's Beit Midrash, but we are going to do something different today, which is that we are going to actually be calling from one Beit Midrash to the other, from one side of the world to the other. Those of us who are here in New York, who are here in North America, who are here anywhere that is not in Israel, are feeling very far away from Israel right now. And one of the things that has been helpful to me, and I know to my colleagues at Hadar, has been being in touch with and hearing from our colleagues at Hadar's yeshiva in Jerusalem. And so what I wanted to do today is to have a conversation with Rabbi Avital Hochstein, Rabbi Avital, who is the president of Hadar in Israel, to get a chance to ask how are you? How are you feeling? What are you praying for? What is it like there, spiritually, religiously, emotionally? Um, so unlike our usual mode, which is just bringing you pre-recorded classes and lectures, um, this episode will be a conversation between me and Rav Avital, and we will get to hear a little bit from her about um, what she is thinking about and experiencing on the ground in Israel. So. Avital, thank you so much for making making the time and the space to join us.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: I'll just say I really want this conversation to be an opportunity for you to share anything that it is that you that you want to share that you think is important, that you're thinking about, that you would want um, us as in the Jews in the rest of the world, or us as in the Jews in the Hadar community um, here to, to know and to hear. But I would love to just start by asking, what are you feeling? What are you seeing other people feeling? Um, share some of, some of your experience of the past weeks since Simchat Torah.
0: I'm having a moment of being uh, overcome by emotion. <sighs> um, I think a lot of what we're doing is doing. And uh, the rare moments of stopping to ponder are challenging. Um, I think the first time it actually happened to me was uh, was the first Friday night after Simchat Torah, so almost a week later. I sat down in shul and they started they started the tefillah, and um, it was just the regular Yedid Nefesh with which we open the tefillah, but I. Found myself in tears for the first time. It, um, um, I asked a friend yesterday how he is. He, he, like me, has a son who's a soldier. His son is further in in his service, and so also more in the front lines. Um, and he said, "I'm eighty five percent worried, fifteen percent scared, and five percent angry." Um, I, I think as the weeks, the days and the weeks have passed, um, the extent of fear that I am aware of has grown. We're in Jerusalem. It's very safe. Um, but there's a very thick layer of fear. Um, and with that I, I i at some point realized that if i weren't exhausted i'd be even more angry uh, i don't think i have the energy for anger right now we 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 can maybe come back to why anger but that is definitely one emotion that's also that's also there and i think um there's also a piece of desperation there's Um, we've moved very far back from imagining what peace could look like here. That's hard. That's a big piece of hope that we need. And that's, that's a big price to pay. Now, of course, as the number of people are the number of emotional responses. So, so emotional responses are very varied, um, Maybe because I'm a rabbi, maybe not. there are definitely basic questions of faith that have come up when you face such just raw muchlat, basic evil, extreme evil. Um, It's questions of faith come up. Um and that connects to the place of Tfilah and the place of Torah. Those are maybe my opening thoughts.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Maybe I'll pick up just right where you ended to ask um Yeah, about where where what are you doing with those questions of faith? Um what are you turning to? You know, you mentioned sitting in Kabbalah Shabbat as being the opening for crying for the first time, curious to hear maybe both what, what brought you to Kabbalah Shabbat in the first place and then also like what's the connection between tears and prayer, but but also more broadly, you know, when you're having those questions of faith, when others are having those questions of faith, uh, are, you know, where where are you turning with them?
0: I'm not sure exactly what brought me to tefillah. I guess that's what I do. So that's where I went. There definitely is comfort in community. Um, There's something very similar to COVID going on now. Uh, Schools are only slowly getting back. We're back to so much more Zoom than we were before. But we can be together. And that's extremely significant. Now um being together is complicated the first shabbat we weren't allowed to congregate far away from a bomb shelter do we have a bomb shelter is it big enough it's it's somewhat surreal the questions that we're dealing with we wanted an armed somebody um somebody with arms to be at the shul at the door um But, but there's power to habit and to continue living. I, I, I have to say that the the next morning on Shabbat, I went back to where I was in shul when the side, when the first siren came up on Shabbat, that was very hard. That was
1: almost a feeling of deja vu, but, um, You went to sit in the same seat?
0: I went to the, it's my seat. I went to the same seat and to the mm-hmm. same shul, whereas Friday night I went somewhere else. I, I went to the same seat and the same shul. And, you know, a lot of people have been called to the army. Um, yeah, it
1: it, it, it should be the same shul, but it was not the same. Shul.
0: <laughs> maybe, maybe that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. I'm finding words helpful. Um, I'll share with you one one sentence of tefillah that resonated with resonates with me is very strongly this week. It's a poem by Rivka Miriam, and she took the line that we say erev Yom Kippur, "Anu matirim We maybe you'll help me translate. We give right to to pray with sinners, transgressors, yeah. something like that, and and the way she puts it in her poem is "Anumatirim li'shtok kan et zo We are giving license to be silent here, or to silence this prayer. We're giving license to silence this prayer. <speaking in Hebrew> um, I have found that uh, a lot of what we need to do is just be. Is just be. Um, we're facing situations that have no words and no words of comfort. Um, I, I left Simchat Torah. The first thing was a phone call from a friend that the father of her four little children was killed in battle that morning. All I could do is be with her that week. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there, there's no, there's no real words of comfort yet. Um, I think. So I think the silence goes to tefillah and goes to how we are with people. It, it's, it goes
1: hand in hand. It's together. The silence is permi- permission to not have words, or it's more yeah, than that. To
0: have to have emotions that are beyond words, mm-hmm. and and also to accept that we have nothing of value to say, and so we can offer comfort by by joint pain, not to run away from it. um... Yeah, I, I I was thinking of this notion of the 160th, that we, we have a tradition that when we visit somebody sick, we take away 160th.
1: Just to be clear, 160th of their pain.
0: Yes, 160th of their illness, okay, that we take with us 160th. That 160th of their illness doesn't make us sick, but it is the amount of relief that maybe we can give. And maybe it's true with a visit in, in a very painful situation also.
1: Just for those of us who are so far away, like can you give us some picture of there are funerals, there are shivas, what's happening? So
0: I think there are um, maybe three main fronts. One is people who have been declared dead um, we're not a big country and so when it gets to over a thousand people, everyone has some contact. So most not all, there there there's still funerals going on because the the hashkata, the the there was there was a lot of violence towards both in the killing and towards bodies and so identifying them is is taking an extremely long time. I mean, imagine that we're three weeks after and there's still a little bit of funerals going on. I think there's still a couple of hundred people that have not been identified of of bodies and body parts. A couple of hundred. I think so that have not been identified. But so there was a lot of funerals the first couple of weeks and shivas. Um, and, and we took part in different ways, right? I have a friend, so there I was every day. But there's a person I know less well. And there we gathered in the street um, a few hundred people and just to be there when they left their home to go to the funeral. In song, in presence. So it, it depends on the closeness. Um, then... Um, the The most unbearable are are people whose family members have been kidnapped. Um I have an acquaintance who said it's like being on a different planet. you You just it's like being on a different planet. And there can offer again, presence to hear what the person wants to hear and resonate it. To do the actions that they feel might be useful, but but that's just a, another just level of unbearable pain. I have to say that um, you know at night when the thoughts wander and you put yourself in those in those horrible situations, it's it's very it's terrifying. It's terrifying. The third layer, which I feel a lot around me, are people who have family members. Who are soldiers. Um, I have a bunch of cousins, many friends whose significant others, children, um, um, are are all in the front line. We've never been in such a situation in my lifetime with such a big percent of people there. Um, it's hard to fall asleep at night when you're when your loved one is at war. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, I'm asking myself what my role is vis-a-vis those people. Maybe I'll add one more thing there. For most people, I serve as a second tier. I think it's a complicated question what we can offer as a second tier, right? I'm not going to be sitting in
1: their house all day.
0: for example, right? Exactly. I'm not going to be there sitting in their house all day or um b- but what can I offer? Um they they're telling us to prepare for a very long time. So um when will the first tier need relief mm-hmm. and will need to step in or we should step in. Um and also there's an issue of state of mind can one offer um both an escape and something useful that relates to the state of mind.
1: I was just going to say it's powerful um, just to hear your reflection on that question. I feel like those are so many of the questions that we are sitting here Mm -hmm. feeling like, well, we are not on the front lines. We're probably not the second tier either. We're whatever tier we are. Um, And having, asking ourselves those same questions of what can we offer both by way of distraction And by way of actual support and that question of when will people need more support and how do we support the people in Israel who are doing the supporting, you know, there is there is this feeling of like we aren't right there. Um, Even though many of us in America are actually the people who would be in the living room all day if we were there, Um, you know, it's people's children and parents and siblings and you know best friends um so to to be both the first tier and so far away i think is 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 one question um but also yeah it's you know it's like even even for to hear you describe being there and still feeling that question of like how do i help how do i help the people who are even more in pain i'm curious if you're able to speak about your own spiritual life your own prayer life um you know how they have been impacted in this moment um you know do you find yourself praying and if you feel comfortable sharing what do you find yourself praying for
0: I think as a young person maybe I'll be more exact as a young woman I think I was scared a lot coming home alone at night, like classic stuff I would say. And at some point I realized I stopped being scared. I don't know what made the shift, but I realized I could come home at 1am and not be scared of the walk from the car to the house and so on. And well, you know, my thoughts have changed even over the last 20 or so days since it happened. But um, this week, the issue of fear is very strongly in my mind that, um, that those thoughts of fear, those, that experience of fear has come back to me. Um, I, I don't find comfort in the song, <laughs> that, uh, that there's no need to fear. It it it's not. Uh, I don't find it comforting. I don't know what more to say. I for me, Torah gives language. I feel like maybe I need to go to the midrashim about Yosef in the well when Yosef when his brothers threw him into the well. How was he feeling? Yeah. Um, to give just to have a shared experience with my tradition over. Over that, I, I don't feel that that for different people are different. For me, the experience of fear doesn't turn me to ask God to support. Um, I feel that one of the things that's hardest for me is that part of what I realize is that part of being tzelim elohim, being created in the image of God is actually the ability to choose to do evil, outrageous evil. Um, a lot of leaders in Israel have come out using the term chayot adam. I don't know how to translate that. Kilu uh, chayot adam, kilu animal, an, um people who are animal like mm-hmm. or animals who have a human form uh, dimension yeah. form as if to say that the people who did these awful things are animals and and not people but i actually think that what i find challenging and for me it's a theological challenge of course it's a political challenge and of course it's a it's a challenge on many levels but it's also a theological challenge that that people, part of what we can do is choose to do horrific, horrific things to each other. And I I don't find comfort in pushing them away from humanity. Um, I find it avoids the issue and, and this is, of course, much more strong for me because we're reading Parashat Bereshit. You know, that was the first parasha we encountered. And you create people and um, and the first thing they do is murder, um, right? Kain and Hevel, that, that's their interaction. Um, and what does that mean? What hope do we have? And I, I, I think another reason I don't just simply, I can't just simply turn to God and say, save me is because i think i i believe there's a partnership parashat noach says it god is in a brit with us he, he makes a covenant with us and and part of the rules of that covenant is that we get to choose between right and wrong um and and, and it's very confusing on the one hand to have such trust in people and on the other hand to see that they can just choose such evil and I think part of the despair is the question of what's the implication of people who of of, what's the implication when we have neighbors who choose to act this way and what scares me the most is that we will choose to act this way. I, I, I don't have control over how other people act. I only have control over how I act and my people act and how I talk to my son about the choices he's making, also as a soldier. I, um, I asked myself if I need to talk to my son and tell him, you know, you don't have to choose to be in combat. Even now that you're there, you can choose to turn your back on it and not to do it. Um, I don't think by definition he'll do evil because that's his role, but I wonder if I need to present explicitly the choice of, of turning his back on that life risking activity. Uh, what's my, what's my role, um, as a mother? It's maybe selfish.
1: Did you have that conversation with him?
0: I haven't seen him in a very long time. I haven't seen him in almost three weeks. Um, And he's not coming home again for Shabbat. Um, they're, They're not letting them out. So I haven't really had any serious conversation with him since it happened. And that's definitely also a layer of it, right? You can't... These are delicate issues. It's not easy to raise them from afar. Um... Yeah, maybe I'll say one more thought, which I think connects in my mind, because because this is a conversation also between an Israeli and somebody who's chosen not to live their life here. Um, it was very moving to learn that um, that you and many of my colleagues and friends and acquaintances decided to take on a day of fast a few weeks ago. Right after the war started, and it was a moment in which it was so clear to me we may not fast, and it's a moment that clarifies some of the differences or the implications of of where we live, and it connects to me to being created in the image of God because for me, part of what is um important, I think, about living here. I, I realize more and more strongly, basically has two prongs to it. One is that there's an army. My grandparents had to deal with the Holocaust without an army to protect them. And that's a very big difference. And I feel that way despite the terrible amount of loss and the things that happened there that might ring familiar to some from those times. But but I think the second thing is that it goes with the um, um, obligation to take responsibility. In other words, it's clear to us that um, there will be a va'adat ha'kira, there will be a committee to try and understand how we got ourselves into this situation and that there will be leaders who will have to take responsibility. We will demand it. Um and and those two things um are important to me and have to do with this with how we face evil as as people who would create it I'll say it in another way. Um, On Parashat Bereshit, I always say the same thing. We know what it means to be created in the image of God. Everyone is equal. Everyone is infinitely valuable. And everyone is unique. And now we have the challenge of how to live our life that way. And this year, I stood there and I said to myself, My challenge is how to fight a war that way.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. That's a really hard question. Um, Now, partially it's the question I I, want to ask. It's why I live here. It also connects to the anger I spoke about before because I feel like this terrible war and attack took away from me the normal questions I want to ask. Mm -hmm. I don't want to ask how to fight a war like this. I want to ask how to live a life like this. Um, And, and, well, I'll say one more thing. There's a feeling of helplessness. Maybe I run away to questions of morality, of how to be, what choices I have as a human being created in the image of God because facing how little control I have is too difficult. Mm -hmm. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I had a question I wanted to ask that I kept sort of rewriting, which was like, <laughs> I didn't want to ask you like where are you finding hope because both that sounds trite, and also I don't want to assume you're finding hope. And I wanted to ask you like what are you most despairing about, but I didn't want to ask you that because that's a terrible question, and I don't want to assume that you're feeling despair. But I I think what I landed on is to ask you like how are you managing despair and hope um how are you managing those two and i'm curious if there are points of hope um you know you started this conversation by saying peace feels so much further than it was and i'm wondering if it f- if you have even any sort of hopes for peace that are left in you and and you know where where there is points of hope if any Uh,
0: hope and despair. My child just walked into the room. There's no doubt that gives hope. Now I have to tell you, this child of mine, I feel he's looking at me and he's saying to me, Ima, you're out of your mind. Why? Why are you putting me? Why are we living in this place where I could be killed? You're out of your mind. He's saying that. And no. But he is almost saying that.
1: He -hmm. has asked,
0: maybe we should go. He has asked, he's he's skirted around it enough that it's clear to me that he thinks I'm crazy. And he gives the answers. Okay, my brother's here in the army. My whole family's here. He knows it. I've also tried to point out to him that people are coming to Jerusalem as a safe place right from the north and the south people have come to Jerusalem the hotels here are full 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 of people who have had to leave their homes but I would say that only half works and I I I want to say this delicately to me to live with responsibility over power, and majority gives meaning. I hope that as a grown-up he'll feel the same way. Um, I understand that for a kid that's not good enough. It's funny to say on a podcast that uh, part of the way I deal with despair is silence, but I think it's true. I think we're just together. I'm not sure I have yet an answer that has to do with hope. Again, I can give you my perspective. I don't feel living like this is an option. In other words, the reality is that we are two people here. And we have to figure it out. And figuring it out only through war is for me not good enough but i also don't know that i understand right now who my partners are on either side for turning that into a reality yeah should we end with something from the parasha i feel like torah for me gives language but not necessarily answers and it's clear that Abraham is sent to Eretz Knan, and the Torah says it explicitly: ni as ba'aretz." We have always been here with other people from day one. That's a um, theological fact, if you can call it that way, or a a cultural legacy that that we've had from day one in this place. And again, that can be that can give hope or despair. Um, I've been I've been choosing to read that pasuk this week in the following way: Lech lecha, go, Merzicha, from your land, Nimoladetcha, from your place of birth, Mibetavicha, from your father's home, El ha'aretz Shel Aicha, to the land that I will show you. So I was speaking with Rotia Irnusbaum, who is a wonderful teacher and, and she suggested that it's not go from your land, from where you were born, but rather n- not as a, ne- as a negation of those, but as a standpoint. In other words, I am going from within my relationship with my parents, from within the land where I was mm-hmm. born from within my home. And, and I think, the way the Pasuk says your question, Avi, is, <speaking in Hebrew> And I feel like my responsibility is to try and understand what is the land that God is showing me? What does it look like? I am 100% sure it's not the land the way it looks now. Mm-hmm. that That's what we have to work on. What vision does God have for us now for the land that he wants us to build here?
1: Yeah. Um, I want to say amen, which isn't what you usually say to a question, but yeah, um, I guess to join you in that question. I want to end just by thanking you, um, by thanking you for the very specific task of taking this time. I know time is really very precious right now there. I want to thank you for your incredible openness and willingness to share from the place of so many layers of struggle. And then more broadly, to thank you for leading our yeshiva there, Um, you know, on sort of on behalf of all that work, and then to thank you very personally just for being continuing to be a teacher of mine and a role model in holding complex realities and refusing to compromise on on the authenticity of any of your of your stances and beliefs, um, which has always been characteristic of your teaching from from the first time I learned Gamara with you um, and just really is so clear from this conversation and the way you're living through this moment. Um, and just to thank you for being there.
0: Thank you for giving me the time to ponder a minute, to stay still and think. Um, I appreciate it. And your support is felt and meaningful.
1: Our hope is that this will be the first episode in a series of these interviews and conversations um, with you about what's going on in Israel, potentially hearing from some of our other colleagues in Israel in addition. Um, And so we hope that those who are listening to this podcast will, you know, You can subscribe to this feed so you'll get a chance to hear those conversations in the future as well. I just want to send also uh, incredible gratitude to the entire staff and faculty of Hadar's yeshiva in Israel, which is on Emek Raphaim in Jerusalem. They've been doing incredible work throughout this time. um, And we are so grateful to have each and every one of you um, as colleagues and as friends. And we're sending everyone brachot. Thank you.